recording day and we are back with the Midwives Cauldron podcast for you. It is so nice to be with you and to be recording our first ever episode. And today we are going right back a long, long, long way back to when we met. So Rachel, we need to be honest here. We've got to tell the truth. We've got to tell about the time when our eyes met across the room of nervous, sweaty, new student midwives on the first day of university. And in the corner sat Rachel Reed, and I thought she looks so cool. I'm going to make her my friend. And here we are, 21 years later, doing a podcast together. So in this episode, we're going to discuss how we got to know each other, why we're doing a podcast, what our passions are, and also what led us down the pathways to the eventual places where we are today. Having started in the same point, changed complete directions and then back again here on a podcast. So welcome to the first episode of The Midwife's Cauldron. I'm Katie James and this is The Midwife's Cauldron podcast. Each episode I'm joined by my incredible co-host, Dr. Rachel Reed. Listen in as we hubble, bubble, toil and trouble our way through aspects of midwifery, birth, lactation and womanhood. So go on, subscribe now to hear us on your favourite podcast host. Rachel, I've got to start today's podcast with um, answering the most burning question um, that I think I've received. I've had, uh, quite frankly, hundreds of uh, messages. I mean, that's slight exaggeration, but um, it really is a question we need to get off the bat um, and out of the way before we continue any further with this podcast. Where's your accent from? (laughs) So... My accent is from the north of England. So my all of my ancestry is from the north of England. I'm very boring if you kind of follow my family back. And my mother's side is all the mining community in the in Newcastle upon Tyne. Why aye man, that's what I was waiting for. <laughs> but I'm not technically a Geordie because I wasn't actually born within the site of the Tyne River. Oh, you're not a real Geordie. I'm actually quite disappointed. I'd forgotten that fact. I think I'd had to scrub it out of my mind because I am a real Londoner, as um, I love to tell everybody, because, um, you know, I speak the Queen's English. So I'm just going to apologise for the fact that my my wonderful co-host has a slightly different English accent than me. I don't think that I do not think the Queen sounds like you, Katie. Geezer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a version of London, let's just say. I can be the queen if I like to. Anyway, so we've got that out of the way because that was a burning question. Do you know where they thought you were from? Wales or Manchester? Oh, it's usually Scotland, so there you go. At least they got you in, uh, one of them was in the right country. <laughs> at least it wasn't a southerner. Oi, I had enough of that when I was at university, which what a, what a segue. 
which takes us to the point of how we met. I think what would be really nice is is that we can do a um, a bit of an introduction for us. So um, many people will know you, Rachel, but they might be wondering who's this sidekick and why have you guys got together? So we thought it'd be good to do an introduction to us to tell you a little bit about our history. And it does actually go back a really long time to when I was a wee bairn, a young thing at university. And I did actually meet Rachel on the first day of uni, um, which was pretty awesome. And I'm grateful 21 years later to still be um, in Rachel's circle of friends and to have her. And she's more like a sister to me than anything else. Yeah, Katie's my little sister. Because I, I don't know how we got together, really, because you were kind of a young thing and like partying. And I, and I was... Well, I was, must have been 26, had two kids. Yeah, and I was 19 uh, and up for university life, not realising that actually being a student midwife was not quite the same as doing another university degree where you work at the uni three days a week. I should have done another degree first, I think, before I started the night shifts and the uh, 12-hour shifts and then going to uni. But um, you live and learn these things. And you wouldn't have met me. And I wouldn't have met you and we wouldn't be sitting here now. Me in Switzerland and uh, you in the beautiful Sunshine Coast in Australia, which is where I used to live. So I'm jumping ahead here. Rachel and I started at uni. We went through three years at Newcastle um, to become midwives. And we had many fun and um, gloriously uh, wonderful times together. Also some uh, moments which we'd probably rather forget, I'm sure. I must say, Rachel definitely became my big sister very quickly. Um, she was very good as well because she had a car. I was going to say, I was your big sister be- because I had a car and I could take you to uni. <laughs> I saw you across the room and I thought, she looks mature. She's got a car. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rachel, let's just talk a little bit about for the listeners um, your journey through midwifery and um, how you've got to the place where you are now. Well um, all right so we did the Bachelor of Midwifery um, in England because it it was a just a midwifery degree and we had to do honours didn't we and we all whinged about having to do honours and having to do research because we just wanted to be midwives and after I qualified um, I worked in the Royal Victoria Infirmary, which is where I'd done most of my hospital-based placements. But I also went um, I also went into the community. So I kind of went between hospital-based practice, community-based practice, and then I went back into hospital just before I came to Australia. Um, and I absolutely loved my community practice in the, in the West End of Newcastle. Um, it's probably one of the, my favourite parts of my midwifery career yeah mine and then I yeah it was great I'm working with you know when we we were students you went straight out into the community before you got anywhere near any hospitals so you were given this real grounding with the matriarchs of community midwives (laughs) yeah we had six months out in the community before we even stepped foot into the hospital at that point and I remember got the fear of going into the hospital you're right that community was such a grounding yeah, and it made it made you realise that this birth bit that we were all excited about was actually just one really small part of a huge, you know, a community based social cultural experience for the woman and her family. 
and you know to see where the women lived and yeah it was it was great and then I came to Australia um and that was a huge culture shock and hospital work in Australia um because that's all there really was initially so I worked in hospitals in Australia um and I did my graduate certificate in education just really because I wanted to study so when I when I talk about studying I actually left school with no qualifications and I was pregnant so I just always had the story that I couldn't study and then I was a bit stupid um and all of my reports from school were you know could do better like misbehaving blah 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 and it was actually the first assessment that I got back from my midwifery degree because I'd, I'd done a few courses to get into the midwifery degree but kind of just bummed them because they weren't very interesting and this was I can remember it it was an assessment on smoking in pregnancy that was the first ever assessment we did can you remember that one Katie no God, I can't <laughs> believe that you can remember it and just making me laugh that you know uh, I love this history and I love the fact that you were this kind of rebel um and that you you know you left school at this early age and and here you are doing midwifery I think that's why I was like yeah she's cool but when I got my mark back from this essay and I think I got 70 percent or something and it just transformed the way I thought about myself because I suddenly realized that actually I wasn't really stupid and I actually could study so it was that's why it stood in my mind it was a huge shift and I think with my midwifery studies I really loved studying loved the studies really like worked hard and got good grades and it just transformed how I felt about myself so that's why I've kind of put that in there because I went back into teaching really because I did a graduate certificate in education because I wanted to study again and then I, I just I think what I wanted to say as well was just the power of not only getting a good grade, but actually being recognized for something you can do is so important. And I think that goes through everything in life. Um, but the difference that made to you on your um, your life path, in a way, of, um, you know, being able to study. Imagine if you'd, if you'd flunked something else, so to speak, or you hadn't been given the encouragement or you hadn't found your passion. It's just it's so poignant in everything in life. If we find our passion, we want to work hard and do well at it. It just shows how uninterested I was. If that I don't remember the first essay, I don't think I was scoring quite as good as you. Well, yeah, I, I, I had to fit my study around kind of two kids. And so that really focused me, you know, and it was my time. It was for me. And, you know, it's after, you know, having kids, it's, you kind of lose yourself in that a bit. And this was something that was for me that I'd waited a long time to do. So, yeah, so I was working in Australia, getting frustrated with hospital midwifery and the inability to practice evidence-based woman-centered care, which even in the UK, you know, it was a medicalized system because everywhere's medicalized, but there was a certain level of autonomy with midwifery practice in that, you know, you're respected as an autonomous practitioner and worked collaboratively with obstetricians uh, when needed, but really you led the care for healthy, well women. Um, and it was very different in Australia. And I went into private practice as a way of maintaining that kind of midwifery practice across the continuum and not losing my skills and not having to constantly battle, battle the system just to be able to just practice midwifery. 
I went into a PhD really, again, because I enjoyed studying. But, you know, since I'd qualified, there'd been this huge um, frustration, I guess, at what it was that we did during birth compared to what the evidence was saying was probably a better thing to do at birth. And um, really, first of all, was focusing around what at that time I called the second stage, you know, as we'll discuss, there's actually no such thing as stages of labor. It's all bullshit. But at the time, that was how it was framed, because that was how I was taught. So I headed into a PhD looking at maybe if we practice during the second stage of labor, because that seemed to be the time when all the kind of circus comes to town, when all of a sudden, everything gets done to the woman. And from from that, I kind of headed into, you know, the the data, what women were telling me and what midwives were telling me in my research was this isn't about just little practices that are done in isolation. It is embedded in culture and society and the way we think about women, the way women are respected or not respected. It was so much deeper than that. And it was all caught up in rituals that we enact to make ourselves feel safe and much just huge. Um, so that's I got interested in that on an intellectual level. And then after that, um, few years after that, I actually met Jane Hardwick Collins, I think when I was finishing up my PhD and then reconnected with her afterwards and did the Four Seasons journey with Jane. Um, and that just took all of that intellectual, academic, you know, theoretical stuff and made me embody it, you know, really live it and learn it and experience it. And I guess that's my path. And that's what I am trying to do now is really bringing in science and all of that ancient wisdom and looking at social, cultural, historical factors and, and just weaving it all together. That's that's what my path has been. So midwife thinking is possibly what people know me from. And that came about, oh, it's actually 10-year anniversary this month. Is it really? Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. July. Gosh. 2010 I think first post about nuclear cords wow so that was your first post was 10 years ago and then we've birthed you've birthed another project 10 years later every 10 years you did the hard work (laughs) I mopped your brow (laughs) (laughs) so midwife thinking came about as procrastination because I'm pretty good at um, I do get stuff done but I also tend to divert myself with really important things that need to be done to avoid doing the thing that needs to be done which was my PhD but I had all of this literature review and all this information um, so I just kind of created I actually started doing a online course at a New Zealand poly about using social media or something I can't remember and one of my assessments was because you know you just do another course while you're doing a PhD of course, um, yeah. And it, and it, was, it, was, it wasn't even one that you'd get marked because I was doing it for free. Anyway, one of them was to set up a blog. So I set up the blog and it was the nuclear cord post. And that was my kind of assessment. And then... I had no idea that you did it for an assessment. Yeah, assessment that wasn't getting an assessed. It, it, was, assessment it was an assessment wasn't getting an assessed and 10 years later you're still doing it. It was a bloody good assessment. I tell you what, it's been <laughs> assessed a lot. That was a good one. <laughs> yeah, and it worked, but it worked really well because I could just put my literature review in there, and then because at the time I was a private practice midwife, so I, had, I was looking after women. I was also teaching at uni, so I had students, and instead of repeating myself over and over, 
I could say, ah, oh, just go and have a look at this blog post that I've written where I've put it all. I'm a little bit more articulate in writing, as you'll all find out from the podcast. It's not, um, you know, I managed to not swear when I write and I managed to be a bit more articulate. You've been doing, you've been very articulate so far. I know. I haven't said my favourite words yet. No, nor have I. We've been very good. This one, I can tick the box, not explicit material. <laughs> well, I might. No, I think I might have said bollocks earlier on. Oh, well, you said it now, so. Is that explicit? <laughs> I don't know. If you're from Britain, I don't think it is. Depends where you're listening. So, Katie, now it's your turn. Well, my story is uh, basically I copied Rachel. That's it. <laughs> Uh, in everything she did, I thought, oh, that looks good. Yeah, I'm going to copy her. Um, so that's the end of my story. No, um, I actually wanted to be a physiotherapist. Actually, that's a lie. I wanted to be an artist or a actor. I didn't really know what to do, um, which is classic at sort of uh, 16 when you're choosing A-levels, which are like your final exams. And so I actually chose to do uh, chemistry, biology, art and German and the teachers looked at me and said Katie you're doing an Eng- uh, a language and art and a and science what are you going to do with this in your life and I went uh, well I, I only need like I need two uh, sciences to get into physio and then after a term so like 10 weeks of doing chemistry I realized that the maths was just too hard so I gave up And then I, well, obviously that uh, reflected on all my applications to university for physio and no one gave me any offers. So I was a little bit in the, um, in the problem stage at that point, halfway through my uh, final two years at school. And then when I completed my exams, I actually didn't quite get the grades I wanted. I excelled at art, mediocre at German and did quite badly at biology. (laughs) (laughs) As you can imagine, the um, the offers for university places were not exactly screaming in. So at 18, I did think my life was over. And anyway, I you go through in the UK, there's a thing called clearing, which is basically there's some places left on courses and you can have a look. And there was one midwifery course in the whole of the UK. And it was in Newcastle. And I just thought, oh, a midwife. Hmm. That sounds kind of interesting. And this isn't the time. This is 1998, 97. This really wasn't the time of um, you could just get on the Internet and sort of Google. But I did do some thinking and some reading that I could find and, and really understood that it was about the woman, even at that young age, which is quite surprising looking back. I went out for this interview and I was offered the place. So um, remarkably. And then I turned around and said to them, would you would you save the place for me? I think I actually need a year off. I need to go and do something else. Basically, I felt like I need to grow up. I need to check what I want to do. And then I went off to Germany and was an au pair for a year and then came back and joined the midwifery course. And like Rachel said, we started in the community. And for me, I went to quite a high socioeconomic area. I was blown away really by my love for being around women and people and families and the midwives, like these four midwives in this group that just worked so autonomously. Um, They did home birth um, and it was just marvelous. I actually had the most beautiful uh, mental midwife, um, Justina, 
who I adored and she was so gorgeous she would actually bring me in her little micro mini uh, I can't even think what the car was called but it was tiny and bright purple and um, she would actually cook a roast dinner on the Sunday night and then on the Monday morning she'd come and pick me up with a plate of roast dinner with the cling wrap over the top to look after me she was the best (laughs) oh so she was like my second mama up in Newcastle and you and my big sister I was doing well really I was well looked after as soon as I got into the hospital I think I really went into anxiety mode and I knew there was like this definite pushback of God I really don't like this I really feel out of my depth there was just this gut feeling which I can sort of think about it now of like this repulsion saying to me I really don't like it here in the hospital but at the time it was just fear And the first birth I ever saw was an emergency cesarean. Uh, The second birth I saw was a uh, traumatic forceps birth. And the third birth I saw was a vaginal birth. Um, And like Rachel said, we worked in a big tertiary unit. That's where we did our training. And I can remember seeing this, the forceps birth and being really quite traumatized And I can remember looking over at the partner and seeing his face. And at that point in time, I said to myself, never, ever forget the fear on this man's face from what's happening to his partner. Um, And that has stuck with me for 21 years in terms of to never make light of an experience that someone's having. Um, It may be day to day for us, um, but it really isn't. So I went through the course and actually when I completed the course, I was almost the opposite to Rachel. I was doing okay and well enough to pass with an okay mark, but Rachel really was excelling. I didn't have this passion. I only felt the passion really when I was in the community and I felt comfortable and I felt happy and I felt in my element. I never felt like that in the hospital. And it was like, I wanted to run away as quickly as possible. I even contemplated that, you know, this is a degree, is a science-based degree, has honours, I will just go and study teaching and become a biology or art teacher or do something else when I qualified. And hailing from London, at that point, I went straight back to London um, with remarks from many of the midwives saying, um, if you think it's going to get better in London, you're in for a big shock, girly, because it's just going to be major big hospitals and um, it's you don't think it's going to get any better. Surprisingly and luckily I went to a fairly small unit and actually the unit that happened to do the most home birth in the London region and I met some of the most amazing midwives who showed me, taught me, listened, took me under their wing and I worked in a community model but again, did home birth um, and was based in the community, not in the hospital. And I would only go into the hospital to um, be with the birthing women. And that was marvelous until I had a bit of a um, injury at work and I was actually unable to walk properly or work for a long period of time. And um, that was where my career changed massively and dramatically and I got into breastfeeding so I was based only then in the community and then they said oh look you could probably run the breastfeeding clinic that's once a week which in a way is a classic of you know just anyone can do it because 
apparently as midwives, we're given loads of training. And I always had a passion for breastfeeding support and postnatal support because I think I was based so much in the community. And so I was put there. And my God, did I learn on the on the hoof. And that's when I decided to become a lactation consultant. And it really opened my eyes and I became fascinated by it, um, by both the psychology of it, by both the components of milk um, and what it does. And then I moved to Australia and this is where my career kind of followed Rachel, not on purpose, but um, it, she helped me out. So I went to the Sunshine Coast, which is where Rachel was, because uh, she kindly um, put me up for four weeks, bless her cotton socks in her house. Um, and I got a job as a lactation consultant in the hospital. And it was the first time I'd ever had to work fully in a hospital. And it was a challenge to be based in a hospital for so long. And then also like postnatal was my passion. Um, uh, after three months, the head of lactation there left and she was already running an accredited uh, IBCLC course. So I had to take over and uh, I'd been qualified as an IBCLC for six months and I had to write the rest of the 45 hour course. I really believe in you fake it till you make it. And I think I've done that with most of my career, to be honest. So I, um, I took over from that and I can remember the faces of some of the midwives and child health nurses or health visitors who were doing the course. I remember the going in and I hadn't been in the hospital that long. And um, my boss basically took me into her class who was sitting the IBCLC exam in six months time. And she said, I'm leaving and Katie's taking over. And I could see the raised eyebrows at um, someone who was one. I, I look fairly young at that time. My nickname actually in the hospital was baby um, in the London hospital. And so I'm not sure that gave women confidence when they would call out baby, you need to get into theater quick for an emergency cesarean. You need to scrub up. Um, so yeah, I didn't look, and I had like a ponytail. So ever since I've had short hair to try and make myself look older, I think now I need to grow it to make myself look younger. <laughs> and, um, so in walks baby and, um, she's going to teach you the lactation course. And they all looked at me and you could see the fear in their eyes of we're going to fail. We're going to fail. Um, and so I really had to buck up my ideas. Did I work overtime? God, this was when education for me became a passion. And also I could see by not just doing, because obviously I was doing antenatal classes and things and they gave me real fulfillment. I loved it. But to train and to teach and to instill that passion into midwives or health professionals and see them get excited and to make changes in their practice and then to come back and tell me was this utter joy. It was like I had found my calling and I still love it. Like I'm smiling now because I just, I love it. It's brilliant. And breastfeeding really was my passion. And then I decided to move from the Sunshine Coast in Queensland down to Melbourne. And I actually took a post which was um, very different, but also another passion of mine. And I was a team leader of a group just on maternity relief for 18 months of um, a specialized midwifery 
group that was specializing in pregnant women with drug and alcohol problems and severe mental health problems and also young women. Um, and so my job role hugely changed. Um, a lot of these women weren't breastfeeding um, or were not able to breastfeed at some times. Um, there was a lot of stuff to deal with in terms of child safety. Um, and a lot of it was about safety, just survival. Um, and I have a passion for this in terms of helping and supporting, um, but it does take its toll on you if there isn't support for the midwife. And I think we're going to do some episodes about um, supporting the midwife, self-care, also working within the system. And this I will talk about because I definitely had some experiences there of working within that. Um, and after this position, finished. I had dreams of working at a certain hospital in Melbourne. And um, I actually went for a job that I thought I wouldn't get. But I thought then I'll be on their books. And maybe I can work as a lactation consultant on the on the bank. And I got this job working with some absolutely amazing lactation consultants and researchers. And that, again, pushed me on my pathway in terms of being able to speak. And they pushed me in a way that was um, just beautiful and remarkable. And we really were at a big tertiary unit dealing with very complex um, lactation issues. And we would get referrals from all over the state of Victoria. We would be asked to go up and speak in different states. And um, we were part of research projects going on. So this was really exciting for me. And then recently I moved to Switzerland where I work on education and um, projects to do with breastfeeding, lactation, and I have a particular passion and interest for the mother and infant or the sick and vulnerable infants who need to go into the NICU or the special care unit. And so I suppose that's where my career path has led me now. So back into lactation, um, but really have this passion of, of women and um, keeping them together and just providing this environment that supports women to... Um, to feel empowered, to feel confident and not to give pressure in, in the wrong ways, but to be able to give them informed information so that they're not overwhelmed, but they can actually make decisions. And I think that pathway of breastfeeding or how they choose to feed their infants is, is a tricky and complex one. I mean, I'm going to talk about this in further podcast episodes. There's, there's reasons behind much of this but I suppose that's where I am now. So now I'm in the Swiss mountains and all I do all day is eat chocolate and yodel. Actually, that's Austrian. So I'm sorry to the Swiss and Swiss cheese and walk along the fields with cows with bells on their necks singing about breastfeeding. <laughs> you know, me and Rachel would catch up probably about once a month on for breakfast slash afternoon delight over Skype. And I was standing on a train platform back in November. Rachel, do you realize it was nine months that we were um, creating this project or I was? It took nine months and then we birthed it. So it's quite apt. We, <laughs> we didn't get induced. No, we didn't get induced. It happened naturally. It was a spontaneous birth. So I stood on a, a train platform coming home from work and it was like a lightning bolt. And I just went, oh my God, we need to do a podcast. And I was just like, God, this is brilliant. 
me and Rachel, we talk every week, every month anyway, and we might as well just record it. And then I had this brilliant name, which was, Rachel, do you remember? No, it was too long. Talk about positive affirmations, <laughs> not positive affirmations, like, posit- what is it? Positive reinforcement. I was poo-pooed. That's what I was. That's an <laughs> academic word for you. I was poo-pooed. It was when the witches were midwives or when the midwives were witches. You see, you can't even remember. So it can't have been, it can't have been very good. <laughs> so the midwife's cauldron, was that your idea or your beautiful daughter? Oh, I can't remember now. I'll take credit for it. It might have been my... <laughs> Yeah, but she calls me Katie Mama. Well, I made her, so it's my credit. Yeah, you're the mama. You're the cloth mama. Harlow's experiment now with the monkeys, the wire monkey and the soft monkey. Yeah, so I'm the... What, what are you saying? If I'm the cloth mama, you are the wire boob mama. <laughs> and I'm Katie cloth mama. I know. Um, so we had the podcast idea and, I mean, really, we, we both have ideas of plans for the podcast. Um, and hopefully it's going to have a nice, um, synergistic, is that the right word? Synergistic? Yeah. Not symbiosis. Uh, maybe symbiosis. Sounds right. Of, yeah, let's just use blend. I'm going to get on dictionary.com and just do synonyms. <laughs> symbiosis is a blend. It's going to have a nice blend of, uh, birth, womanhood, and lactation, as uh, you've heard me say in our intro. But um, yeah, really from this perspective, hopefully, of our backgrounds and uh, knowledge that we've picked up along the way. So listen in to episode two coming shortly with me and Dr. Rachel Reed. And don't forget to subscribe and go on. Tell your friends, they'd love to listen to this. And just before you go, we thought we'd give you a couple more bloopers to end our show today. Ta-ta for now. See you next episode. This is the Midwife's Cauldron and this is episode one. Bang! <laughs> <laughs> it shows me on the recording where to start. I don't know what you're doing. You probably should have warned me you were going to do that. <laughs> you were like, what the hell is this intro? God, I'm sweating. I'm sweating and it's winter. Okay, on that note, I saw her across. <laughs> Bang! <laughs>